This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are actively pursuing knowledge about investing. Oh, yes. Warren Buffett style. Yeah. I like. Yes. Actively pursuing we, we did a bunch knowledge. of Charlie Munger quotes about, about all this the, these things, and, and I've sort of grown a little weary of the Charlie Munger quotes, to tell you the truth. But there, it is true that Charlie and Warren believe that if you just keep learning in your life, you're going to be successful. If you just keep learning, you just keep plugging away. And I think that's uh, the value of a podcast like this is that we just keep unpeeling or peeling the onion here, unfolding the the knowledge as we understand it that Charlie and Warren have written about and spoken about for 60 years, which I've been in, using for investing for 40 years, um, written a lot about it. And I think, you know, it just never, it never stops being interesting to me. And I just keep learning. Honestly, I'm, I'm learning you guys know the best way to learn something is to teach it, right? Everybody knows that. So teaching Danielle here and having her learn and feedback what she's learned to me, and it's been really interesting. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, today we dive into what? Michael Burry a little bit. Yeah, I also really enjoyed doing the quotes, by the way, but we felt it was time to move on. Um, and I, at some point, episodes and episodes ago... I think somebody wrote in a question about Michael Burry and what he was up to. And we said, oh, that would be really interesting to look at his 13F SEC filing. And we were both like, yes, let's do it at some point. So today I looked it up just thinking maybe we would talk about it on the podcast. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, he owns a bunch of Tesla. That really surprised me because he didn't seem like the kind of investor that I would expect to be gung-ho on Tesla. And I was looking at it on, I'll just say the website because whatever, I was looking at it on Whale Wisdom, which as people who have listened to me talk about 13F filings know, I hate looking at stuff through like a third party lens. And I found out why again today because I was super confused about what this meant. And then I saw that they have put and call in parenthesis next to a bunch of company codes, company names. And then I realized that it was next to the Tesla name. And I realized he doesn't actually own Tesla. He owns a bunch of puts on Tesla. So to make sure I was understanding all of this right, I then went to the Edgar SEC website because that is the source. And if anybody wants to look this up, his company, and by the way, the way that I find this stuff out is super simple. So his fund is called Scion Asset Management. There's a bunch of Scions if you only put that in. So it's Scion Asset Management. 
And um, and the way that I found that out is I just Googled Michael Burry 13F and that's what came up and that's what whale wisdom has. So that's what I found on the SEC. So very easy to figure it out. And it turns out that yes, on the SEC's filing, which for me is much easier to read, um, they do put put and call options on there if they're owned by a fund. I don't know if I'm just reading the wrong 13Fs, but I had never noticed this before. So there you go. 13F has put and call options. Did I mean, you must have known about this, but I just never put it together. So it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit right now. It's very interesting. Well, I have to confess that um, if if we were to go over to the toolbox, right, at rule1investing.com and look at guru stocks, Michael Burry, Michael Burry's filings on 13Fs would be in there. But our website doesn't bring in the puts in the calls side of this thing. Hmm. Um, I think originally we just thought, let's just stay with the stock side of things. It's just, it, it indicates the main focus of the fund. Um, and besides, the the there's a lot of misleading information that gets thrown out there. <laughs> As I just discovered. Puts in calls. <laughs> on well, puts yeah. and calls. So then I started looking it up because I was trying to figure out what on earth this meant. And I found some blogs and some info about how to read it. And it turns out the amount of money that they report on this is the value of the underlying stock. It's not the value of the option. So it could show a huge position in, for example, Tesla, when really there's no position of that anywhere close to that size. So it is it is misleading. It's It's really intriguing to me that I've gone this long without encountering this in any 13F. Well, it's it's fascinating that Whale Wisdom is putting it up there. I think that's really cool. And I'm now I'm rethinking maybe we should put it up on ours as well. Um, but a, and a couple of things come up that are really, really important about Michael Burry. I mean, first we've talked about him. He's he's one of the major players in the big short. And I always forget the name of the actor that plays him, who is also Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale, who did a fantastic job playing some sort of O O is it O C D or A I don't know. Like a guy that thinks differently. <laughs> you know, like any Elon Musk sort of a He's character. brilliant, basically, is how brilliant. I would put it. Right. He's he was so brilliant that hedge funds were giving him money while he was going through medical school at Stanford mm. and investing on the side. And he was so good at it. So the guy's a genius. And in the big short, he had figured out a way and basically created a way uh, by uh, working with Goldman Sachs to short the real estate mortgage bonds. I mean, he actually just totally created it. Goldman Sachs thought he was crazy, but happy to take his money. And then later on in the movie, you watch him getting furious that Goldman Sachs won't pay off on the bet that he made with them, that he's obviously won. And later on, what he found out was that Goldman was getting rid of their side of the bet mm, rapidly out right. to other other people. Right. And then once they were rid of it all, right, they'd made a bad bet and they wanted to unload it. Once they were rid of it all, then they repriced the bet properly and he made several billion dollars. And amazingly, no one at Goldman Sachs went to jail. I mean, that is so illegal and so wrong on so many levels. And it's just... I just fury infuriates me that these guys would manipulate a market like that and get away with it. But of course, the SEC is busy busting little guys, and they don't—they're not yeah. going to deal with Goldman. They yeah. Goldman got in trouble with the SEC on something else, 
And the SEC said, said, send us the paperwork. And Goldman Sachs sent them two semi-truck loads full of paper down to Washington, D.C. and said, here you go. Where are have you getting fun. this from? I've read it. Okay. I don't remember where. You've exactly. read it. <laughs> All right. So that's the one thing uh, that is important about Michael Burry is he's brilliant and called the mortgage bond collapse absolutely correctly and made an insane fortune for his people. The second thing about and him made is a huge a massive, name for himself. So that's right, how and, he is a known investor. And he's a massive contrarian, even with his own investors. They hated him and and didn't mind the fact that he made them hundreds of millions of dollars of, of profit um, didn't matter. They refused to even say thank you. I mean, they hated him because they were adamant that he not make this bet with their money. And he stonewalled him, as you can see in the movie. So he really walks his own own path and doesn't worry too much about what his investors have to say about anything, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which makes him fascinating to watch out here. So, okay, well, and so the amazing thing. thing is that after all of that, the aftermath was that it was such a miserable experience, despite being correct, that he shut down his fund. Right. And didn't have any sort of public documents of his investing for a while, for a few years. And now he's coming back into it and we're able to see what he's doing again, which is exciting. He's reopened and and he now has a, from the last filing, which is sort of uh, March, end of March this year, um, his, he's showing discretionary assets under management of 639 million dollars. And that's important to know. One of the really key things to understand about looking at the 13F filings or what we, you know, what the gurus gurus are doing um, is to understand how much total capital that they have to work with. Hmm. Because if they're showing that their largest investment is 34% in ABC company, it's 34% of what they have in stocks invested in stocks call and and um, calls, puts, whatever they've got, it's 34% of that number, not including cash. Amazingly, the great flaw in all this uh, analysis is they don't include cash as an investment. And of course, it is an investment, but they don't include it. And as a result, right now, although Burry has $639 million, our website shows that he has a portfolio value of $135 million. Oh, okay, because the SEC filings don't show any percentages. Yeah, we do them ourselves. Because it's super important that we understand what percentage of the portfolio is invested in certain things, right? I mean, it's one thing to have somebody have 1% of the portfolio in a stock. It's another thing entirely if they've got 15% in it. Yeah, totally. Like the level of commitment is huge, hugely different. It's a second level calculation, though. So our, our... Website is showing that Burry has a portfolio of 135 million. We know he's got a portfolio of 639 million. What that means is that if we don't, if we exclude the puts and calls, all the options that we're going to talk about in a minute, that Burry is sitting on a gigantic pile of cash, it appears, from Hmm. where we're sitting, right? In other words, if his portfolio is 639 million, he has 135 million invested in stuff, in stocks, then there's $500 million that he doesn't have anywhere, at least as far as our website is concerned. So that's an error and 
And we need to get better at showing that, number one. And number two, it'd be a really big error if you looked at 135 million and you assume that, oh yeah, the guy has, uh, let's see, eight and a half percent of his money invested in core civic. Well, no, he doesn't have eight and a half percent of his money invested in core civic at all. Not even remotely close. If he's got he's got eight percent of 135 million invested in core civic. You following me here? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a gigantic difference. I mean, he's got like seven or eight million dollars in core civic, seven or eight million as opposed to what would be 8% of 600 million to be, you know, $50 million. Mm -hmm. Just gigantically different. So you're saying situation. that the, the, the value themselves, the values themselves are only really understandable by putting together what percentage of that portfolio it really is. Because for a different example, let's say something's worth 8 million at Berkshire. It's, nothing it's like it's less nothing. than nothing <laughs> well i'm glad you brought that up because berkshire is a great example buffett invests very rarely yeah true and when he does he invests billions of dollars mm -hmm. meanwhile he's got uh ted and todd who are handling like 10 billion each and they're often investing you know relatively small amounts it would be rounding errors at berkshire yeah they'd be just rounding errors you wouldn't even consider them a, a, a just Buffett putting a toe in the water, nothing committed. I mean, they don't say that those are their investments. That's an assumption, but I think it's a reasonable assumption. Yeah, it is. I mean, look at Apple. Um, one of those guys started into Apple back when it was at 95 or 100 pre-split and then talked to Warren about it. And he got excited about the idea that Apple is no longer a technology company. It's no longer all about creative destruction. It's actually, I think Warren said that when he realized that a friend of his who had a private jet said he'd let go of the private jet before he'd let go of his iPhone, that <laughs> there was something going on here, right? That's so, cute. <laughs> um, sort of back to Bury. That so we've got we've got some interesting stuff here. When we go and look this up, apart from you know, or going out to the SEC. We see something else. We see that at Whale Wisdom, for example, they're showing that Burry's portfolio is actually one almost $1.4 billion, not $639 million. It's one point. He has $1.4 billion invested is the way they're saying it here. And this yeah. is also completely screwed up. Yeah, that's not right. It's because they have a computer doing that and it, it must have included the option filings. It does. And here's the crazy thing. When you do an option filing, what they what what they do what they what you just said, they they take the value of the underlying as an obligation for you. Whether you're obligated or whether you have a right, right? These are the two sides of any options trade. One one side is when you sell an option, you're now obligated to do something. And when you buy an option, you have a right to do something. Well, the SEC doesn't seem to distinguish between the two at all. It's just, let's look at the underlying stock and determine the total amount of the investment based on the shares of stock times the underlying price. Mm -hmm. And you end up with these massive numbers that aren't mm -hmm. real, mm -hmm. right? Um, they're especially not real because the put options and the call options do different things depending on whether you buy them or sell them, and they do very different things 
between each other. So a put is very different than a call. And a sold put or a short put is very different than a long put. I mean, I don't know if we want to get in the weeds here, but they're, uh, they're, they're very, very different than just saying, well, oh, the underlying stock shares are what really count here. Right. So let me, let me give an example. But I don't think that they would show on here a sold put or a sold call. I think they would only show ones that have been bought and therefore are owned by the fund. No. 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 Um, they're not going to distinguish. Both. They're not going to distinguish when you push the sold button, when you push sell. Whether, and you have to file that you've sold something, uh -huh. whether you owned it or not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. So now I could be wrong, but and and we we can check that's it out. That's something sure. I should look up. Yeah. Yeah, but when they say that that the top buys for Burry in the in Q one, the number one top buy was Tesla. Right. <laughs> he 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 not only didn't buy Tesla, which would indicate he's really excited about Tesla, right? Which was, yeah, which was my initial thought upon seeing this, like 100% wrong. It, it's a put option that he bought. Mm -hmm. And a put well, option. Or sold, if what we're saying is that maybe this means well, sold well, as there's, well. Well, there's very unlikely that he, well, if he sold it, it would have said sell. Yeah, maybe. So, so mm -hmm. when it says buy... He's buying a put option, and the difference between buying a put option and selling a put option are night and day. It's like the difference between buying a stock and selling a stock in, a, in the sense that one is saying one thing and the other is saying the exact opposite, right? Um, so when you, when you buy a put option, what you've done when you buy any option is you've bought a right for something. You've got a right. Okay, so he bought a right on Tesla. And when he bought a put option, his right is to sell Tesla at a set price over some period of time. Like he's got a certain number of days. It might be, you know, 700 days. It might be 30 days. I don't know how many days this thing is lasting, but he has a right to sell Tesla. So imagine if you wanted to insure um, a position that made money so far, one of the ways you could do it is you can marry a put option to your stock and sell uh, or rather buy a put option, in which case if the stock price goes down, you will be able to force someone to buy that stock from you at that higher price, whatever that price is that you set. Mm -hmm. So it becomes an insurance policy to get out. Right. It's a way of, of saying, oh, I want to be insured yeah. for the next year that I can get out of this company and and retain my profits. Yeah. Now, you're going to pay for that. And sometimes it makes sense. And a lot of times it doesn't. Where where options get used mostly is in gambling. And my my guess here is that I don't even have to guess. I yeah, can it's not a over, guess because we know that he doesn't. Own he doesn't own underlying Tesla. Tesla, yeah. Exactly. So if he doesn't own the underlying Tesla and he bought a Tesla put, then he is spending money with a bet that Tesla is going to go down like a brick and he's going to be able, let's say, you know, Tesla's at, I don't even know what Tesla's at. I don't follow Tesla at all. Do you know I Tesla prices? I don't follow it as okay. a matter of principle. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's take a look here where it's at today. All right, but so it's Tesla not going to it's not going to tell us anything dollars. about six forty four. Yeah, so it helps. At least it helps me to understand these things. Tesla's at six hundred forty four dollars. So let's say Michael Burry says, "Okay, Tesla's going to go down. I am going to sell. I'm going to buy a put option at six hundred. So if Tesla now, why not six forty four? Right? Well, it's much more expensive to buy one right at the money at six forty four than it is out of the money at six hundred. You right there. You're almost certain to to be able to exercise this thing if the stock stays around 644, you can exercise it and force somebody to let you out. But you have to pay for that, so it wouldn't make any sense. So what, well, I can not say it wouldn't make any sense. It would make a lot of sense if it drops like a brick. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So let's say stock price, yeah. he has a 600, an option to sell the stock at 600 that he doesn't own, right? You don't have to own it. You're just setting up a gamble. It's called a derivative trade. And if the stock goes to 500 over the time period that that option is in, in play, maybe it's a six-month option, then what Michael can do is force someone to buy that stock from him Right, he could actually exercise. He could actually go out and buy stock at five hundred, and then immediately force someone to buy it from him at six hundred. But what happens more often, and is that they won't even go buy the stock. They'll just resell the option. They'll just say, "Okay, mm. I bought this and I paid X amount of dollars. Now this thing has dropped uh, one hundred dollars below my strike price. I am going to sell it." And I'm going to get a little bit of money for the time left on the option, and I'm going to get the hundred dollar difference between the strike price and where the stock is right now at five hundred. Mm -hmm. I'm going to collect that. They actually make a little more money by just uh, selling the option out to the market, and so that's an incredibly effective gamble, isn't it? When you think about it, that might have cost him twenty dollars to buy that option, and he made a hundred dollars on it. Pretty good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's why he might be doing it. Now, what happens if it doesn't go down? Well, he loses his $20. So it's a gamble. He's buying insurance on a house he doesn't own at the expectation the house is going to burn down. Now, you can't do that with houses because it would encourage you to go burn the house down. <laughs> <laughs> right? Also known as insurance fraud. <laughs> insurance fraud. Because I got insurance, then I burned the house down, and then, hey, you owe me. So the insurance companies won't let you do that. But you can do it in the stock market, which is kind of fun. We also have no clue how long these options are or what he bought them for, what the strike price is, anything. Like, we know nothing about them. They could be right. giant, long leap options and go out years right. and years. Like, we, we have no clue. But, well, they won't go out years and years and years. They might yeah. go out two years because there's a limit to the time that are on these options and American options. Aren't there three-year leaps? No. Uh, you'll see the you'll see three calendar years, but the longest is like 800 days, something like that. Oh, okay. 
Mm. Um, so a little while anyway. Yeah. Yeah. In which case you'd pay a lot for it if it's anywhere near the money. So that's... But I mean, as with anything with these 13 Fs, they're meant to be, I mean, not meant to be, we use them as, first of all, as something you can copy if you want, but I, mostly to be instructive, to get ideas, to see what people are doing and not doing. And it's, uh, I don't know, I find it very interesting that he's put this bet on Tesla. Yeah, it's a nice Tesla bet. Now, he's also got an interesting bet on Google on a different kind of an option called a call option, Yeah, which it also says that he bought. And what that means is whenever you buy an option, you have a right. And a call option, the right that you have is a right to do buy. what? Buy to the buy. stock at a certain price. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say he sold a call option or, or bought a call option on Google and Google priced, uh, where's Google right now? Let's see, $25.97. So let's say he uh, bought an option at 3000 So if the stock goes above $3,000 uh, far enough to you know cover the cost of the option, he starts to make money. Hmm. So let's say the option costs him $100 to buy a call option for a year at $3,000 a share on Google. Now he has a year. If that stock goes above $3,000 plus the $100 he paid for it, he begins to make money on that $100. Hmm. So if Google goes to $3,500, he might make $400 on a $100 bet. So there's another bet that he's making, a leveraged bet. Um, and here's an stocks. intriguing one, which I think is what you were just talking about a few minutes ago. On CVS, he, if we go with this idea that he's been buying them, so let's assume that, he bought a call option on CVS and also owns the underlying stock. The amount that he owns, according to this chart, which may not be right, but the amount that he owns is very, very small. So to me, this seems like a pretty clear covered call wait he bought a call option that's what it says yeah if we're going right. with the idea that as soon as he um that the chart shows that he's buying which i'm right. not sure so cvs i'm looking for where that one is cvs call and you're sure he's long the call i'm not sure we're not sure about that well but does it say he bought it on here, it says that he bought it. Yeah. Okay. Let's assume that he bought it. Let's ass I'm saying we're assuming that. And then he owns the underlying stock. It's about halfway down. So he owns 110,000 shares of CVS. Yeah. Which I can see on our website. And then he, let's say, bought calls on CVS for another 400,000 shares. You with me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, this is not a covered call. Is a covered is, call when you sell a call? Right. Okay. A covered call is when you sell the call. So what he's got is essentially a bet that he wants more of CVS. He wants to be able to buy CVS at a set price for a long period of time. Um, and he is, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why he might do that. Instead of just buying the stock, he's using his money that he's got this 690 million or whatever it is, 640 million. He's using that 
lots of different ways and using it all up. And so rather than buy another 400,000 shares of CVS and use up a big chunk of it, he's using up a small amount of it to buy the option to buy CVS down the road. Oh, I like it. So that's, that's intriguing. Quite intriguing, right? Yes. We do something like that. We don't, well, we do exactly like that when we want to leverage up um, with options. The, the closer to what we call the money, that is where the stock price is on that underlying stock, we call it at the money. The closer you are to the money, the more an option like that will cost you. Mm-hmm. Right. And therefore, the more the stock price has to move up in order to break even. Another way to do it is to not leverage quite so much and go deep in the money and basically pay about half of the stock price and buy a call option for a couple of years. And we found that really you almost have no downside there. There's your 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 payoff. I'm not going to go into it all right now, but your payoff is going to happen pretty close to equally to buying the stock outright, no matter what happens, unless the stock price really collapses, in which case you're better off with the option, strangely enough. Hmm. So um, it's a way to get leverage of two to one without um, really taking any risk at all, much that uh, that the stock price is going to not move enough to cover your cost. So this CVS call is really a way for for Burry to leverage. Now, if he sold the call, if he sold the call and it was a covered call, he would have sold 100,000 shares. He would have sold short 100,000. I mean, the reason I'm a little suspicious of our assumption that this is all buys is that there isn't a single sale on here. So I don't know, maybe Um, maybe that's just how it is. wait, 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 that's not the case, is it? Of the options it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm looking here at Whale Wisdom. And what I'm seeing is that um, he sold short uh, Citibank or Citigroup calls. He sold short Pfizer calls. So I'm seeing some short calls here. Well, maybe I'm looking at a different page. Because I see none of those. Now, what's really interesting on these short calls is these are not covered calls either. He doesn't have the calls covered and he's short. Oh, here they are. They're on page two. Ah, page two. (laughs) The third party website strikes again. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when you sell a call, you now have an obligation. So when you sell any option, you're now obligated to do something. When you sell a call... You're obligated to deliver the stock at that price. Okay, this makes a lot more sense to me now that I'm seeing these ones with the cells. So I think then we are making the right assumption that... Should be. Yeah, I think so. But I just want to point out, this is a pretty serious bet that Citigroup won't go up because he's betting that some. he's basically giving someone the right. They're paying him for the right to force him to give them that stock at a price. And if he doesn't own the stock, he's got to go out there and buy it at whatever price it's at. So in this particular case, if Citigroup goes up really fast, something wonderful happens, and the stock price goes up really fast, he's going to lose money on that thing. He's going to have to buy the stock, or he's going to have to pay the difference and and get rid of that option. Um, Either way, he's going to lose. 
it was also reported back, um, this is a Q4 reporting, because I guess they aggregate their reporting. This one is uh, actually on March 31st that I'm showing. Then why? Uh, what am I looking at that is different than the, yours? You're looking at the, the SEC, and I don't trust it at all. <laughs> <laughs> there He's we He's got differ. a short call on Pfizer as well. He also doesn't, he doesn't own Pfizer stock. So again, if Pfizer goes up, he loses here. So it's so interesting. You can use options. He's got one option where he's bought an option on Tesla, hoping it'll go down. He's got a call option he sold on Citigroup, ho hoping it'll go down. Hmm. He's got a call option on Pfizer, hoping it will go down. And he's got a call option on Google, hoping it will go up. So you guys, you, you it's a fun little really map, isn't it? Fun. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I, I love it. I think it's really cool. And But it takes some digging. Now, if you're interested in yeah. leveraged investments where, in other words, these aren't investments per se. These are gambles. These are these are what I would consider gambling with a brain. Or in other words, you're going to go to Las Vegas and you're going to count cards and play blackjack and hope the casino doesn't kick you out. And if you stick with it long enough, you're going to make money. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. You've got a really smart guy, a genius, who's got a very strong opinion about the directionality of Tesla and Google and Citigroup and Pfizer, and he's making bets based on that directionality yeah. that has to come true within a certain amount of time. So this is a gamble, very speculative, but boy, is it leveraged. You can make a lot of money. And the beauty of options is you can only lose what you put in them, basically. Well, sort options. of. Put yeah. options. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't even say that. You yeah. can definitely get hammered. I think you can lose a lot of money. And I, yeah. I mean, I have to say, like, we don't talk about options on here because they are so risky and you have to really understand them. I do think it's really instructive to look at a 13F like this, whether or not one chooses to buy or sell options in your own trading account, just to be able to make sure that we understand what this is saying like what is the accuracy of this document um, and obviously without understanding the option part of it one cannot understand this 13f right so you have to know it so do your homework guys and uh, a lot of stuff has been written about options most of it is pretty obscure um, maybe take a class in it and understand what how it works before you start playing around oh and use paper trading before you before you start using real money, when you do something like options, it'll it'll help you understand it much, much better if you do trades on options and on a website like uh, Interactive Brokers or, or uh, you know, TD Ameritrade or Schwab or something like that. It'll really help you figure it out. Um, don't do this with money right off the bat. It'll it'll burn you almost certainly. Good point. Good point. All right. All right. That, time to go well, play, guys. Well, that was fun. Thanks, yeah. everybody. See Bye. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.